0: Maximize your sense of aliveness. Gain new perspectives on health, your body, and the meaning of life. You can control your physiology and how you feel in your body in this moment. Your life will never be the same. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page.
1: at large by simply giving health away to doctors, right, doctors and pharmacists, really, medical professionals, how many times have you come home from the doctor and someone said, hey, what did the doc say, what's the news, as if you, who's lived in your body for 10, 20, 30, 40, I don't think there's anyone older than 40 in this room, years, has no idea about what's going on in here. And so, a lot of the work that I do is the work of translation, of interpreting the messages and the signals that your body is always sending you. Learning to understand what they mean and interpreting them to, to better you, let's say, to make you healthier. Because the thing is that human health has not been on our priority for the past almost 100 years. Since World War II, We've started doing lots of other things. This is fueled by the process of industrialization, right? where we started making things and creating things and building things. Right? The whole era of products came. Right? We fast forward through the 80s and 90s where everything's for sale and disposable. Has anyone's grandparents ever talked to them about that? Like, it wasn't like this when I was a child, honey. So this whole disposable lifestyle has greatly, greatly, greatly affected our health. Not only on the level of pollution, for sure, we have a more polluted world today than we have ever had in human history, and so that's a lot to deal with, but also because that whole idea of industrialization was applied to two things. First, our health system. And second, our food system. And these are two systems that are so inherently interrelated. And when the mechanics, really the mechanism of industrialization, started to be applied to our health and our food, all of a sudden, we're the ones that lose out. And so that's the theme that I'll be talking on tonight. But before we get anywhere, I have to do my little intro spiel because it's only fair. I, I strongly believe that anyone who can sit up here and talk to you guys for 40 minutes has some opinions or some beliefs, and I, I very well do, and my intention is not to hide them from you at all. In fact, my intention is to expose my biases up front, very here, first thing. And so my biases are very much rooted in natural medicine. The precursor to the modern naturopathic movement, I have a doctorate in naturopathic medicine, the precursor to that was something called natural hygiene, which is based almost entirely upon the understanding and the logic of fasting, yeah, and it's a system of coming back to nature, I'm talking a lot with my hands tonight, coming back to nature in the way that we're balanced with the elements, and this is something that modern medicinal systems have picked up on, Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, what are the elements, do you guys know? Many elements. Water. Good. Keep guessing. Fire. Fire, Air. air. Earth. Now we always hesitate for the last one. (laughs) In Chinese medicine, there's a metal, and there's also a wood. We have a little bit of difference. But in natural medicine, our last element is space, something called ether. You could call this prana, qi, the energy running through. (laughs) That's an element perhaps. And so these elements are what we come back into balance with. Like some people, have you ever felt like you have too much fire? Come on, no one. <laughs> I'm mean, only one with my hand up. Okay, thank you, <laughs> thank you. They're clapping for you for your, your excessive fire. So this this is a, probably the easiest one to understand that you have these alive inside of you. Certain things like water are alive alive inside of you, and the amount of hydration that you have in your body. Air. Has anyone had too much air suspended in their body before? Yeah, some beltings, some right. flatulence for sure. And they also possess other parts of our our being as well, not only on the physical level, on a mental level, on an emotional level. And so tonight we're going to be talking about the physical because I find that that's the earth. The physical is the earth. And we have to start from the earth before we can go anywhere. And I was talking about this period around World War II, like 1930s onward, where stuff started to get really industrialized. Well. It's also the time that we started to live really apart from the earth. And really apart from any natural way of living. And so in, I didn't finish my bias yet, I have to go back there. (laughs) My my little intro. But in this world of of living naturally and being healthy, it often requires a lot of returning. Returning to what our body inherently knows. And returning to how we live... Balance between these elements in a world that's always trying to grow us out of balance. Okay? And so, the rest of my biases, I'll say them really fast now so I don't go on another tangent. I have a master's of science in ethnobotany, that's the study of the relationship between people and plants, and my specialty is gastroethnobotany, food plants. Yeah. So, what we eat, things like that, what different people around the world eat, and what stage of the plant, how is it processed, all of these other interesting things. Herbal medicine is a big part of that. But the ultimate medicine is the medicine that the body gives itself. The fundamental understanding of natural medicine is that the body has the full capability to heal itself. We only have to allow it time and space to do so. So, otherwise, I have lots of other certificates in natural health stuff, from clinical iridology to I'm a career colon hydrotherapist, and that's something that we'll be talking a lot about tonight the lower bowel, the large intestine, the colon, those are all the same thing, don't be confused with terminology. Okay. And with this, what we'll do is start to unlock some key principles. My desire is to give you tools that you can take with you and start to experiment with so that you can reconnect into this physical body. Yeah, she's, that was a nervous face. She's like, experiment tools. <laughs> you can reconnect into your body to start to live in that balanced state of health. Is that of interest to anyone? Let's see some analysis. Yeah, okay, yeah, good. So we're all in the right place. <laughs> so, when we talk about uh, healing and health, any natural health practitioner will tell you that death, along with health, begins in the gut. The gut, the large intestine, the intestines at large. Is an area with an incredible amount of intelligence. The large intestine alone, more than 300 million nerve endings. That's the second number of nerve endings anywhere <coughs> in your body, second to the brain. That's an inc- I can't even count to 300 million. Right? I told you guys that. The entire intestinal tract, including the small intestine, has more nerve endings than in a cat's brain. Does anyone have a kitty cat? See the cat? Yeah. Love your cat? Is your cat smart? And guess what? Your gut is smarter. How incredible is that? And so, a lot of the things that people experience today—anything from acne to bloating to headaches to bad moods, right? Irritability, just being upset all the time. Anyone have that one?
0: <laughs> oh, my hands went not for that.
1: Yeah. At the, this point, what we learn is that through coming into balance first here in the intestines does all of that come into balance in due time? Yeah? And some of you can attest to this if you've been with me fasting and you've noticed certain things start to clear up, yeah? That's amazing to learn from the body. And so here's the yoga barn. I'll put my little yoga barn stick in. We have two different kinds of programs. A three-day foundation cleanse program, yeah? And then a longer one-week intensive detox retreat. And both of those Aim to reconnect you to your physical body and give you this jump start to really start anew. Can you guys scoot over closer? Will you? i here. Thank you. Bring the energy. There's a lot going on today. See happy family. Good. Okay. So I just have an idea, and I'm gonna go with it. I want you to turn to someone who you did not come into this class with. It'll make it easier for this big room over here. And I want you to ask. That really, health begins here. Also, disease begins here. So the best way to create a breeding ground for disease is to collect things here. Yeah? You guys good? Okay, yeah? So there's a lot of psychology. I think I want to talk about this first. There's a lot of psychology around defecation and pooping. Quite often, we don't want to talk about it okay, as if no one else does it. We're all nervous about it. Does anyone have these feelings before? Maybe since you were a kid. Uh oh, oh. They're laughing Maybe since you were a kid, you had these sensations of like right and wrong and good and bad, and you have this mental psychology of like I can only poop in certain places, or I only poop at my house, I could never poop at work. Oh my god, I'm at someone's house, so this house, I can't poop. But there's someone in the stall next to me, I can't poop. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Ah, I'm on vacation, I just got on an airplane, I can't poop. All of this psychology, does it sound familiar? Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. And the thing is that this has been so incredibly programmed inside of you from such a young age. Because the thing is, ever since you were a little kid, right? Poop was either, oh, really good potty training, right? Really good, you pooped in the little potty or ew, yucky, smelly, bad, don't touch that. And so we have this complete polarization in the psychology around pooping, right? Where it's either completely good or completely bad. But every time you poop, you walk out and you feel fantastic, (laughs) super happy. Everyone's happy to relieve. This is what we're meant and made to do. Yeah, to poop, totally. But the thing is today that this is about the number one thing that's plaguing us as a society constipation, and my definition of constipation is very different than yours. Right, my definition, yours first, we'll start with yours. Yours might be Ahh! something like that. My definition of constipation is anything less than once per meal per day. Yeah? And so, if we took a status of this room, right, I think how many of you had your hands up for two or three times per day? so we got our detox department intern. So this is pretty much right on. I've been collecting data for several years now, almost a decade, and I can tell you from my research, both in a clinical setting as well as anthropologically in the field, in several different countries, that somewhere around 80% of the world today is constipated. And that's a tremendously high number. Tremendously high number. There is no surprise that we have such a Incredible rise in disease today. And the five most common diseases of our time let's say, heart disease, cancer, autoimmune diseases, obesity, diabetes. These are diseases of modern society. They're diseases for sure that are totally based upon our lifestyle. And how much we poop or not is also based upon our lifestyle. Believe it or not, we tend to hold an unforeseen amount of stress right here. Does anyone ever feel that? You're stressed and you look like a knot in your stomach and then you can't poop forever?
0: Okay. Well, our whole life today is incredibly
1: stressful. The 21st century world is inherently acidic and stressful. And so this greatly adds to the constipating factor. Okay. And my goal tonight is to teach you how to start to relieve that. Because our advertisement, even though you guys didn't come here for the signs, the signs say, want to learn one thing that could change your life? The see? You did, you did see no, it? No? no? Oh, okay. Very good. So, this is the one thing that could change your life. Pooping more. It's something that I can't talk about enough. It's something that these guys who spend a week with me know that I talk about quite a lot. Yeah? <laughs> and it's something that I encourage you guys to start talking about a whole lot more. Because the thing is, that what I've written up here, health and food, remember I told you our healthcare and our food system? The moment those were industrialized, that was the bane of our existence. Well these two things, the only way we're gonna start to overcome them are through grassroots efforts. Do you know what grassroots means? It means like the people, the ones who are all over here. It's It's not the ones who have power and who are making decisions. They're not really going to change anything because their interest is normally in money. Right? And the interest of money is in industrialization, and more and more and more. So we have to come down to the grassroots efforts. You can imagine a lawn with tons of millions of blades of grass. You are each one of those blades of grass. And the more that one blade of grass says to the other blade of grass, did you poop today? <laughs> I can't believe no one's laughing except for me. This is ridiculous. The more one blade of grass says to the other, did you poop today, the better our world is going to be. Because what we're doing is taking away the fear and the shame of defecation, right? That good and bad polarity. And we're making it just simply good, natural, healthy, just like it is. Does that make sense? And so I'm going to give you homework. I like to give homework. These guys have already gotten the homework. But the homework itself is to leave this room tonight and before tomorrow morning. I'll give you like 12 hours. Ask someone who was not in this classroom, "Have you pooped today?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can play a tape. You can call your mom. Anything like that. Go ahead and ask. Write <laughs> yeah. down your
0: homework.
1: Right? All right. Good. Woo! All right. Come back to me. Come back to me. Give a class. with excitement for a homework assignment. Okay, so all of these, this overcoming, let's say, of the system as it is today is going to take a grassroots effort. And I'll tell I'll talk to you a little bit more about uh, the industrialization of the health system, healthcare system, as well as the food system. Let's start with the food system. From the moment that you start to make a packing line, right, you create packaged foods that then can become a commodity or a product that you can sell in a market, right? You can store it for a certain period of time and you can sell it at an increased value for the fact that it's in a package. Yeah? The cost of actually making like a cake or a piece of bread or something like that is really quite low when you look at the cost. But the moment that you put it in a package and you can sell it at a corner store or at a gas station, right? You can get a good $2 or like 20,000 rupiah, whatever you want to say whichever currency you're working with, it has an increased value. And so there's a lot of interest there, not only for the store, but for the company that makes it. And unfortunately not so much for the farmer. You know? And so we start to see that capitalism has had a bad, bad, bad effect. I don't like to say things are good or bad, but it has had a detrimental effect upon our food care. Because the thing is that thing in a package is no longer alive, no longer living, no longer able to nourish you in a way that something that was freshly picked right, or homegrown would be able to. Is this something that you've been exposed to before? It's a really simple concept. yeah. And so a principle that we often work with in this classroom is whole foods. The principle of whole foods. That you want to have foods in their natural state with minimal, if any, processing. Right? And then in return, those foods are going to give you the most amount of vitamins and nutrients in a way that's completely understandable by the body because the bottom line is that that packaged cake in the end, when it comes into the body, the body says, what combination of the five elements is this? I've never seen anything like this before and it has no idea what to do with it. So that's one of the big reasons why processed food not only makes us really sick over long periods of time, but also constipates us because our body literally cannot digest it. And that's a big wake-up call. And so and I'm, I'm in a homework mode tonight, sorry. I'm going to give you another assignment. Look, over the next week, yeah, until next Monday, you can think of me the entire week. I'll be thinking of you back and loving you. All right. Over the whole next week, think of everything that you choose to put in your mouth and ask yourself, did it come in a path? How many ingredients were there in that? If it's a whole food, there's only one ingredient. And that's a really, really amazing way to start to take the path, take the first steps on the path toward holistic health, toward grassroots effort in taking our food system back into our own hands. Because the fewer steps there are between where your food was grown and how it comes into your mouth, the better. The better, the better, the better, the better, the better, the better. The better, the better. Okay, all right, we're good there. So in terms of health becoming a commodity, this happened uh, in the 1930s all the way through the 40s when we had post-war. We had all of this industry built up to make machines, right, to fight wars all over the world. That was the World War II, right? And after that, we took the industrialization, as we learned, into food as well as into health. And this was the discovery, 1928 actually, so it was quite a bit before, was the discovery of penicillin. Have you heard of penicillin? Penicillin was one of the very first antibiotics, where it said, you know what? We don't have to worry about these diseases anymore, our soldiers going off to war. We're just going to give them a shot of this stuff. Right? So that way everything dies. Well, that was also the vein of existence of a really good bacterial colony Inside of us. Have you guys heard of probiotics? Pro, beneficial, biotic, living. So, beneficial living organisms. Our body, again, is made up of this good and bad, there are polarities and everything. Well, the bacteria in our body are no exception. And so, the good bacteria or the probiotics are the things that regulate us and <clears throat> help us poop, but somehow, with the advent of penicillin and all of the other strains of antibiotics that were invented after 1928, we started not to poop as much because all of those antibiotics killed our friendly flora, our good bacteria. And so I can't tell you how many clients today come through my office and most of their problem, like, I don't know, 60% or more of their problem is bacterial imbalance in the body. Who's ever taken probiotics? This is a really good survey. Uh, Okay, that's not what I meant to ask, but I love seeing that. Okay, who's ever taken antibiotics? Surprisingly, I know more people. Yeah, more people. Anyone's never taken antibiotics? You've never been to a hospital? Wow, bless your mother. Tell her I said hi. Okay, amazing. Right, One person in the entire room has never taken antibiotics. That's awesome. Like, let's get Sample of his gut flora, but the thing is that we're so exposed to antibiotics, not only orally, through medication, through pharmaceuticals, but through our natural environment. There are antibiotics all the time sprayed on food, sprayed on fields, right? Antibiotic hand cream, I bet you've used antibiotic soap before, right? I got it, I got it, right? So we start to see that it's not just the medication, but it's actually everywhere. Yeah, chemical shampoos, when you go home, turn around your bottle of shampoo and look at all the ingredients, right? Makeup, soap, right? Hand soap, normal stuff that you would use in the bathroom when it's unmarked and you have no idea what it is, but it comes out and it's like bright green. That's probably going to kill some of the good bacteria on your hands. Right? And so as we see this antibiotic culture going wild from pharmaceuticals and science, having the cures, right, via vaccines, thinking that that was the end-all, be-all, we have a sweeping through the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, where we stop caring about our personal health and our hygiene. But go home, ask your grandparents. This is more homework, homework number three. Ask them what they did for preventative because back then, pre-1930, people were so concerned with sanitation, Right, public health was much more of a challenge. So they had to make sure they were clean, right, and the inside of them was clean. Right? So things like enema kits were regularly used, and I'll talk to you about that in a little bit. Right? Colon hygiene, washing out the large intestine with water is something that was so inherently known all throughout since the ancient Egyptians, right? To modern-day doctors, the first doctor of modern time, Hippocrates, used colon cleansing with every single patient he saw. All the way up until the 1930s. Of course, doctors at that time would take the true Latin root of the word doctor. Does anyone know what it is? My Latin speakers? What is it, Eva? Docere, docere, the one that teaches. That's what doctor means. Not the one who prescribes, but the one that teaches. And so ever since I got my doctor, I'm super happy to say I'm a doctor. Because in essence, I'm a teacher. And that's what I'm doing right now. Trying to remind you of things that you already know inside of you. So that we can reconnect back into them and track on forward on our path to health. Does that make sense? Yeah? And so the original doctor is, indeed, someone who taught their clients hygienic ways to live, yeah, what to eat, whole foods. right? That was like their only option back then. Right? But how many greens to eat, how much fruit to eat, all of this. Right? A true doctor is someone who would teach their client the fact that it's really important to poop. Has your medical doctor ever asked you about your poop? Yeah? Maybe some, so two people. God bless your doctors, your doctors and his mom. Those are the <laughs> grassroots efforts. All right? But not very many of us. My doctor never has. Even when I became a a therapist and I said to him, hey, can we talk about poop? And he was like, oh, I don't know. Why. Here's this medicine. Right? Okay? There's an issue with that. Because if we don't have these fundamental parts of our health, then we really don't have much at all. Because without the foundations, and the foundations, mind you, are elimination, what we're talking about, hydration, sleep, and proper nourishment, we could build a house off of those. And without that solid foundation, we will never find health. Yeah? And so it's so important to come back to the foundations. Slide. Okay. So, we have perfect amount of time left to talk about colon hygiene. As I already said, this is one of the most important parts of health, washing out of the lower bowel. And the reason that it's so important is because like you guys told me already, you're not doing it so naturally on your own today. You see that? So it's really important to wash out what's been backed up at the same time as you start putting in different things to create more of a fluid cycle of elimination okay and so colon hygiene is is something that's seen in man as well as animal yeah you guys remember storks they're the animals that are said to deliver babies yeah, yeah. okay they don't actually deliver babies but they have been seen filling their beaks with water and mm. spraying it up another storage bottle
0: give them a little bit of an enema.
1: Right? Because storks as well have noticed that our world is way too toxic for us to fully eliminate. Yeah? As I said before, the father of modern medicine, Greek Hippocrates, he used an enema bag, which is a self-administered, small tea colonic, to every single patient that he saw. Two generations ago, in your grandparents' time, I don't think anyone's old enough for your parents, Two generations ago, there was an enema kit under every bathroom sink. I remember my grandfather having his blue enema bag hanging all the time. Yeah, go home, ask your grandparents. That's the same grandparent conversation. I love it. She's writing down homework. You can get back to me, me, right? hey, Let me know what they said. I'd love to hear. Yeah? This is the kind of thing where we start to rediscover what they knew and what industrialization has led us to forget. Cool hygiene. I use enema kits in every single program that I run here, and when I give them to clients, I say, you know what, this is my favorite part of the program. Because it's a form of empowerment. Where with this tool, learning how to administer this skill, right, water up your bum, really short and fast, water in, waste out, all of a sudden, you have a tool that can help you to, of course, never be constipated again, to, of course, Prevent disease, if you feel like you're getting sick and you have a little sniffle, or this or that comes up. To never have to deal with a headache, because we already learned about the relationship between here and here. And so removing stuff here is definitely going to make us feel better here. You see that? And to be able to travel easy. Yeah? Be able to really cleanse on a deep level, because the ultimate is that the large intestine is the rubbish bin of our body. And people go throughout their entire lives with the rubbish in full. And so, self administering home enemas are the cheapest and fastest self healing tool that you could ever ask for. Yeah? That and fasting, I would say. Alright, but fasting is another lecture, you'll have to come back for that later. Otherwise, when we look at colon hygiene, there's another form. It's a bit more full, let's say. There's more water administered. It requires a therapist to help out with. It's something called colon hydrotherapy. Okay? And colon hydrotherapy was invented, as I said, by the ancient Egyptians. And this is a, an administration of water coming in and out of the bowel at the same time. It's able to go through the entire large intestine all the way to a blind end of the bowel. You guys remember what it's called? The cecum. The cecum is the rubbish bin of rubbish bins. It's the most toxic place in the body. And so in the kind of colonics that we have here, in very few clinics in the world, are still practicing this intentional traditional method. It's called Wood's Gravity Method, colon hydrotherapy, you can write that down. Yeah, Wood's Gravity Method. It's really intended for detoxification. When we get to the far end of the valve of cecum, and we wash out that matter, it's somewhere roughly equivalent to a year of your life in toxicity. Which is incredible, because no other kind of modality has been able to heal the body that fast and that deep without harm, let's say. And because the system we have is based entirely on gravity, that means that there's no risk involved. If your body doesn't want the water, it doesn't take it. The water stops. It's amazing and so we also have another part of the program where what we're practicing here at the yoga barn is very much a therapy the client is feeling muscular retoning from the action of the therapist and that's pretty cool because it's like your large intestine your colon is lifting weights at the gym right and so when you go in for a few sessions you get stronger and a large problem with our constipation today is because the muscles in the bowel have gotten all soft and weak, and so we need some retoning, some re-strengthening to make sure that there's this proper elimination. Does that make sense? Yeah. Other reasons that we're not pooping as much as we're supposed to is because we're super dehydrated. How much water are we supposed to drink per day? Three liters. Three liters. That's the Excellent. amount of water that our body uses and loses simply by waking up in the morning. Three liters. Anyone actually drink that much? Oh, yeah, I love you guys. The ones who have been here before and some other superstars. Three liters. That's like four of these. It's not wine, it's water. Four of these. That's how much three liters is, okay? So that's a good place to start, hydration. That's water on an empty stomach. And once we do that, we can find that things start to move faster. And hydration isn't only about water. It's actually also about food. Notice what you're eating. Food that's too overly salty, dried, fried, or cooked, right? Animal products, for sure. Certain dried food, like bread, these are actually going to require water from your system to digest. They're dehydrating in essence, right? Of course, certain beverages, like coffee, alcohol, incredibly dehydrating. So you have to start to mitigate between the hydrating factors and the dehydrating, between water, And tripling, if not quadrupling, the amount of fruits and vegetables that you're currently eating. Raw, water-containing, fibrous matter. One of the most incredible ways to move the bowels. Yeah? And so something I plan to tell you tonight, and I won't shy away from doing it, is I have a challenge for you. I've never done this in this space before, so this is new for me. My challenge is that one week over the next year, You can choose any week. You have 52 to choose from over the next year. You do what's called a fruit fast. A fruit fast. It means that you only eat fruit and leafy green vegetables for seven days. Leafy green vegetables. Young, baby, tender, sweet, leafy green vegetables. Like lettuce, bok choy, celery, cucumbers. Yes. We have anything that's green. All right? <laughs> Not like green gummy bears though. Yes. So green bell
0: <laughs> as well? No.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: But red ones? No.
1: <laughs> no, you, they're fruits actually for Oh, really? Yeah, they're the seeds. So that's my challenge to you, and I would love that after you do that, that you write me. Food to the vegetables. Mm-hmm. Raw. 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 So you guys discuss it later. That's my challenge to you. So I have—I'm not finished yet, but I'll tell you again. I have a Facebook page so that we can stay in touch because I would love to hear how these experiments go. Right? I'm here to give you tools. You're going to leave and go experiment with the tools and play around. Right? You might have some questions that come up. Right? You can send me some messages after your week. Let me know how it goes. Okay? So. When we look to move the bowels, I have a really easy three-step list on how to poop more. It wouldn't be fair for me to talk about constipation the whole time and then not tell you how to poop more. So number one way how to poop more is to drink more water. Hydration, we already talked about that. Number two way to poop more is this position. It's called squatting. We have it in yoga malasana. This is what you should do while you're pooping. Biomechanically, we're made to actually defecate in that position. Right? Then number three way to poop more is simply to give yourself time, to make time, to have all of that chitter-chatter. No, I can't poop at his house. Oh, I'm so nervous to poop. Am I going to poop? Am I not going to poop? I can't tell. I can't tell. I don't have much time. All of that chatter that goes on in the mind, calm it down. Give yourself a solid 10 minutes. Go to the toilet. Squat. Make sure you've eaten enough fruits and vegetables and that you're hydrated enough. In that squatting position, do something to get your mind off of things. When the mind leaves, the colon knows exactly what to do, and then you'll notice that when you start to do that, maybe two or three times a day, give yourself that space, that your body starts to respond. People come back to me after a week, and they say, "Oh my goodness, Andrea, you're a magician!" And I say, "I practice no magic. Okay? It was you. It is you." have this full capability and this ability inside of you. You just have to allow it to happen. Return to the elements. Return to the body. Serve the body rather than the mind. Those foods that just taste so good and this and that, often those are serving the mind, not the body. What the body wants is simplicity. Lots of natural colors. Whole foods. Cool. So, how much time do I have? Are we have time? All right, no, great, we're, we're good. So, um, yeah, you guys are gorgeous. There's not too much else I want to say. I'd love to open it up to questions if you have any. What about cooked food? Is it like processed as well, or is it uh, fine? That's an awesome question, super awesome question. Is cooked food processed? depends on our definition of processed, In, in one respect we can see that definitely it's processed. It's been exposed to heat and so processing changes the chemical structure of food. Heating food changes the chemical structure of food. You might have heard of the raw food movement which is incredibly increasingly popular in Ubud, right? And raw foodists will tell you that cooked food is dead food because the enzymes, which are things that help to create a chemical reaction, The enzymes have been destroyed through the cooking process. That all of the minerals and nutrients in the food has decreased when it's exposed to fire. And so that's like a raw foodist example. That doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Because food can still be super nutritious. There are actually certain plants like thick leafy green vegetables or even like certain spinaches, the western variety of spinach. It's high in oxalates which are inhibiting absorption of necessary nutrients. So those kinds of things, spinach or thick leafy green vegetables, actually need to be slightly steamed or boiled to be able to be digested by the body. But the thing is that we're meant to be eating, as I said before, raw, young, sweet, baby leafy greens, which are very different than these dense, thick greens. And so when you're asking about cooking food, I would say, what kind of food are you cooking? Does that make sense? So there's no, there's no right or wrong. If you're eating more, way more vegetables, I'm happy. You guys want to make me happy, right? Cool. Any other questions? Does the appendix. Whoa, oh, what an interesting question. So Ernest is asking about the appendix. Do you know what the appendix is? It's a little tail guy down here. So I talked to you about, the answer is yes, and I'll, I'll, I'll elaborate on that. The this part of the bowel, what's it called? The Second part. They got <laughs> it. <this time. laughs> so the cecum. This is the rubbish bin of the rubbish bin. This is the most toxic area in the body. Remember, in our method of colonics that we have here, our intention is to get water all the way there and wash that out. Right? When it empties, actually the body starts lining up to dump into it. Well, the thing is that most people go throughout their life with this overflowing. Overflowing because the rubbish is never emptied as often as it's coming in, yeah? And so, as colon hydrotherapists, we see the appendix, first and foremost, as an emergency release valve, whereby when the rubbish bin is so overflowing and has nowhere else to go, toxicity pushes into the appendix, this little vestige, this little organ, teeny, teeny, teeny little part of our lymphatic system. And when that fills with toxicity, right, toxic microscopic fluid, all of a sudden, we have appendicitis, infection of the appendix. Okay, that usually is incredibly painful. Right, remember all the nerves around there? Super, super painful. You can't even stand up. And then what happens? They rush you to the hospital, right? And it's emergency, immediate surgery. Anyone have their appendix out? Yeah. So today, thankfully, and a lot of of work's being done on this in China today, interestingly enough, what they're doing instead of appendectomies, instead of an operation removing the appendix, is prescribing antibiotics. Remember? Like penicillin. And the thought is to stop the infection and then after that allow the body to heal itself. And you see the same exact survival rate in appendectomies versus antibiotics prescribed during appendectomy. So that's amazing research. And the number of appendectomies is finally falling after it has risen and risen and risen for the past 20 years. It's finally falling. Okay? So I, I preface the answer to your question with that because the appendix, Western medicine always said, oh, there's no use for it. It's like it used to be your tail or something. Right? It's not there. It's a needless organ. Nothing in our body is needless. Everything has its purpose. Right? It came from somewhere and is hopefully going somewhere.
0: Other new research, and this
1: is really new research, like the past one year, is showing that the appendix is actually the birthplace of most good bacteria in your body. Most probiotic it nature's here, and then it proliferates everywhere. And that's pretty magical. That's awesome. That means for you guys who don't have appendices, it's really important to be taking large amounts of probiotics. And I actually, I don't limit it to them. I'll let you all take as many probiotics as you want. You often can't take too many probiotics. If you do, it'll just result in a cleansing effect. <laughs> a little bit of dying again. And so certain probiotics like acidophilus, you can get them at a natural health food store, even modern grocery stores. Right? Other kinds of probiotics, lactobacillus, there are tons of different strains. You'll see ones that will say, more than a hundred million thousand gazillion strains. It'll say that on a packet yeah. you know, gazillion in there. Yeah, have you seen that one? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Marketing schemes. That was a joke, because guys are not very into my humor tonight, which is okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, pills, probiotic pills, awesome, great. My advice is to take them, take them like every day for a month, and then don't take them for a while, and then take them again. Switch the one you're taking all the time. Be really inconsistent with the pills. But always make sure that they have some presence in your life. My real interest in probiotics are food-based probiotics. Food source. So these are found in every culture throughout the world. There's a really cool book called Wild Fermentation. Did you guys open it yet? I sent it to you as part of your detox. Congratulations, oh, package. i I'm struggling Okay. This book, Wild Fermentation, it goes throughout all cultures throughout the world. Everywhere from Iceland, where they ferment swordfish underground, to Japan, where they make, of course, miso, right? Pickled ginger, the list goes on, right? To Korea, where we have kimchi, to Germany, where we have sauerkraut, right? All kinds of pickled, fermented, cultured vegetables. Here in Indonesia, we have tempeh, fermented soybean. And all of these fermented foods are bringing into our body the good bacteria from the environment to rebalance our our system at a digestive level as well as at an immune level okay so one last thing there i would i would recommend you guys eat large amounts of probiotics every day of your life that's really super exciting a cool one that we also have here in indonesia is called tape it's made from cassava you know manioc, cassava yeah uh, Yucca, they call it in in the southern states. (laughs) Okay, so this is a root vegetable that's been fermented over time. It's really sweet in the end. This is actually where most of the world's vitamin B12 supplements come from. And we have it here naturally in Indonesia. So some cool stuff to see. You can find it at any grocery store. Um, Yeah, it's called tape, T-A-P-E, yeah? And so, Fermented foods like this are found everywhere in the world. Before I came to lecture tonight, I had a spoonful of some pickled vegetables and a spoonful of the best probiotic that I've ever found. It's coconut yogurt. It's made just up the road here. It's called Key for Life. You can buy it down to earth or Bali Buddha. Absolutely amazing stuff. I healed my little puppy with it. This stuff is so healing in nature. It has so many living organisms in it that surely enough one or two of them is going to implant in you. And so this is the kind of thing that should regulate your system. You know that a probiotic is working because it will send you to the toilet within an hour of ingesting it. So remember that. All right? And then the third function to answer your question, Ernest, of the appendix is actually as part of the lymphatic system. So do you guys know about the lymph system? You have lymph nodes here, 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 all over, network all around your gut. Well, guess what? The appendix itself is a lymph node. And every time chyme or undigested food matter comes in from the small intestine to the large intestine, the appendix goes and squishes out some antibacterial fluid that's natural, made inside your body. And so there's this humongous crossover that we see then between probiotics and good living bacteria and our immune system. That's what the lymphatic system is, our immune system. You know, you get sick and it swells. And so, this is our body naturally cleaning itself. This is our body protecting at all entrances and exits. It's like a SWAT team, or a bouncer, or a security guard. And so, yes, in the end, the appendix has many, many, many functions. Okay. So, I think we have time for one more question. I haven't given this much time for questions in, like, a long time. So, yeah. We're all living in... Korea, we as foreigners as always joke with the Koreans because they eat kimchi for every meal and they believe kimchi is everything and heals everything. So is it true? Is it that good? Yes. For you? Yes. Um, my so she's asking if kimchi is actually that good for you. Danka is South African but she lives in Korea and she's saying that the Koreans eat kimchi for every single meal. Alright? This is actually a way to spur organ function. Kimchi itself has within it most flavors. Bitter, sour, sweet, salty, (laughs) umami, Uh, spicy, yeah. Kimchi stimulates digestion first and foremost. It stimulates the amount of hydrochloric acid released in the stomach. On top of that, it's a probiotic, right? On top of that, you're eating raw vegetables. It's gonna be fibrous in order to heal the system. And so there are lots, lots, lots of benefits to kimchi. Today, of course, people are making it with white processed sugar, which is never a good idea. So go back to how their grandparents made it. That kind of kimchi, good for you. Every meal, nah, not sure, once a day, definitely. Yeah? That's
0: my answer. Cool. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Vitality Podcast. Please click over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to spread this work with the world. You have a part in transforming humanity's health. Keep enjoying this free resource and make sure to give back by sharing, subscribing, and checking out all of Andrea's work at liveforvitality.com, where you can find links to Instagram and other social media. Andrea also gives astrology readings, holds online fasting retreats, and teaches detox courses and advanced yoga teacher trainings. So come to liveforvitality.com and let Andrea transform your life now.